0: Tell me your soldier story. If you're a sailor, marine, airman, or Coast Guardsman, sound off. For me, I was born into this. As the daughter and sibling of service members, enlistment came easy. At the budding age of 17, my mother signed off and I signed up. I attended basic training at Fort Jackson and advanced individual training at Fort Gordon in Georgia. Team Army knows from flag to torch. So that's a high level look at my soldier's story, but there's so much more detail and nuance that we'll explore in this podcasting experience. My goal is to listen, learn, share, and grow. Although I'm a fan of the long form podcast, you can expect our time to be about 30 minutes each episode, I'll introduce you to an academic who will share the difference their education has made in their life as a service member, dependent, or military supporter. I don't consider myself a poet, but you'll become familiar with a stream of consciousness that helps me communicate the process. When we came to this place, they explained the rules, but really there are no rules, just a bunch of common practices. So this list, my 10 ideas of these common practices to help you navigate along your way. Number one, A human receives two educations, the one given to them and the one they give themselves. Demand the best of both. Number two, everything worth having is free. So be careful of those who will monetize your love, your health, and your knowledge because the price will always be more than you can pay. Number three, love, it's the answer. Translating the question so all can understand, that's the problem. So learn to say love in as many languages as you can. Number four, Health, it's a trinity of mind, body, and spirit, and wealth is the karma of what you do with them. Pursuing the monetized while neglecting the free things in life will leave you poor, sick, and lonely, and that's a trinity too. Number five, knowledge is power, and with power comes great responsibility. No, it's not mine, but demand the most of those responsible for that knowledge transfer, because with them lies the power. Number six, everything's a mirror. Look for beauty and beauty is what you'll find. Look for flaws and flaws are what you will find. So look long and look deep. Number seven, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The beholder is you. So again, look long and look deep. Number eight, paying it forward is as important as saving for a rainy day. The investment you make in others pays in perpetuity. Number nine, truth, facts, and principles are constants that change. So never be so tied to Constance that you can't change. And number 10, the list of life is never complete. Start making lists, cross things off, celebrate, then make another list. The key is never skipping the celebration. We're ready to kick off the next phase in this operation. It's the Third Lieutenant Podcast. Do your PCCs and your PCIs. Ready to go? Take a listen sergeant michael d brown graduated from holly high school in holly michigan in 1996 then enlisted in the army as an 11 series and 11 mike During Michael's four years of active duty service, he deployed to Bosnia with the 1st Armored Division. Upon discharge, Michael enrolled in classes at Northern Michigan University, majoring in political science and applied ethics where he degreed in 2005 with a bachelor's of Science degree. He then moved to Pennsylvania where he served as the military and veterans affairs director for the first Iraq war veteran ever elected to Congress, Congressman-elect Patrick Murphy. Michael then accepted a position as the Director of Veteran Services for Montgomery County Community College before accepting the role of Director of the Office of Veterans and Military Service Members at Villanova University, where he still serves today. Sergeant Michael D. Brown, welcome to the Third Lieutenant Podcast.
1: Well, it's great to be here. I really appreciate the invitation and welcome the opportunity to to tell my story and the long and winding road that it took me to get here. So, really, again, thank you for having me, and I really look forward to to talking with you today.
0: Absolutely. So, you're the first representative of an institution that we've had here on the podcast, and I'm really grateful that not only do you represent an institution, but you're also a service member. So, I'd like you to share with us. Tell me your soldier story.
1: So, I I, I guess you know I'll go back to to my time in high school, and, and I'll you know sort of give you the short story. Uh, there, where, you know, I'm ai am a, I'm a first-generation college student, so my my mom and dad weren't, you know, ever saying, hey, you got to get, you know, into college. They were sort of letting me figure that out for myself. Upon graduation, I had no idea what I wanted to be, but I knew I, I wasn't ready in a lot of different ways for college. I, I thought to myself, I'll probably just you know, flail once I get there. So I needed some structure. I didn't know what that looked like, but I needed something. And and my brother, who's nine years older than me, did a tour in the Navy as a CB. And so I, I talked to him a little bit about, you know, being in the Navy and what that was like. And My uncle was a Marine in Vietnam. And I talked to him a little bit about what that was like. And I didn't want to be on a boat and I didn't, think I would I would be a a good Marine I thought that was a little too too much for me and so I looked at you know know, the, the opportunities and the options and I took the ASVAB and I decided to try the Army and because of my my color blindness I think they give you a test where you're looking at a bunch of circles with dots in them and you're supposed to find like a number well I only found two of the numbers of like the 14 or 15 that they give you as a test and so they said well you know you can do this or that. it was, I think it was the the infantry or driving a truck. And I decided to join the infantry. Not that there's anything wrong with driving a truck. I just wanted to, you know, I I thought the infantry was a a, a good place for me and, and a good test, frankly. And so I did that. I joined the infantry. I went to Fort Benning, Georgia and loved my time there on Sand Hill. And my entire platoon basically were told that we were going to, to Germany, to be assigned to different units in Germany. And I had the chance to be assigned to the 1st Armored Division in a small town in Germany, uh, Friedberg. And it was fantastic. I loved my time. And, you know, looking back at the the Army, if I could have stayed in, in Europe, I probably would still be in the Army today. I think it was such an awesome opportunity. I had never really explored much outside of Michigan. I did some trips here and there, you know, across. But Europe was just such a different experience and being able to explore it with friends, etc. was great. During my time, we were told we were going to get on a deployment, and that's what we did. We deployed with uh, the 1st Armored Division to Bosnia as part of the Stabilization Forces in 1997 to a small base in northern Bosnia called Camp McGovern, which was up in a town called Birchko. B-R-C-K-O is how it's spelled. And we were there for, I guess, around seven... 8 months something like that and you know that was the first time of feeling like I was really in the army I and mean, you're on a deployment. I was living in a tent, you know, and we got there in September and there was there until basically the end of spring. And we experienced all the different climate experiences you could imagine where, again, we're living in a tent. It's freezing cold, there's snow, it's hot, and there's eight of us living in a big tent. But it was great. It was a fantastic opportunity. And I think the reason I liked the deployment was that it showed me the difference that we can make in people's lives. We weren't there as a typical infantry unit. We were actually acting more like a police unit where we were trying to, to help people in the community, whether it be they needed help getting food or water or whatever it was. So I think I, I enjoyed that experience. And I, that was sort of laying the foundation for what it meant for me to find purpose in life, is that helped me feel like I was a part of something, is helping others, and so that's why I'm always grateful that I did join the military, because it opened up my eyes to what it meant to see other cultures, see other places, but also know what it's like to, to help other people and, and see them through start to finish. And so in Bosnia, U.S. Senator Carl Levin came to visit, and he was the senator from Michigan. And at the time, he was, I think, the ranking senator on the U.S. Armed Services Committee in, in Congress and my platoon sergeant was like hey anyone want to meet a senator and for me i was like oh i can get out of you know doing x y or z for a few minutes you know i raised my hands sure i'll go i'll go meet this senator and that was i think one of the reasons why political science was my program of choice was in meeting with him and talking to him he sort of talked about how you know you use peacemaking and peacekeeping as part of a bigger picture and how foreign relations and you know talking to different folks around the world help, and so i I think it answered some of the questions of why are we in bosnia what are we doing what's you know i'm just going on patrol day after day but he really so sort of opened my eyes to the bigger picture of know why we're there and what we were doing so that was my time there after Germany I went to Fort Hood Texas and I think that's one of the reasons why I got out of the army is I I really did not (laughs) enjoy Fort Hood I'm from Michigan so Fort Hood Texas was always hot not really that fun and Fort Hood's just a big base in the middle of nothing really so there just wasn't a lot to do there and so it was it was fine but I was ready to get out and so I did and I came back home and and decided to use my GI Bill and, and go to college.
0: That's amazing. So the great place is is what they refer to Fort Hood as the great place. And (laughs) I tell you, it's great. So it sounds like the army uh, gave you a choice, an 11 mic or an 88 mic, right? So either a truck driver or an infantryman. I think you chose well. So myself, I spent over seven years in Germany, not as a service member, but as a dependent. But I see my time in Frankfurt and in Wiesbaden, Germany, as time to prepare me to be a global citizen. And I was really young, so it was part of those formative years. So when you came back home, you went on to university, and then you went on to serving our country in a different capacity. Your time as the military and veterans affairs director here in Pennsylvania, where you assisted with constituent services, veterans legislation, what did you learn?
1: One of the things going through college is you you learned that using the things you learn in a book and how to apply them in real life is something that my college did a very good job of, and it was something I really appreciated. It it took things from abstracts. To reality, and you know, you get some snapshots. You're doing internships. You're doing this or that. Once I got into Patrick's office, I learned really quickly that a people need help, but b that no matter what, you're not going to please everyone. And with that is the learning that you can't take things personally. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn because you're not always going to be perfect with everything that you do. And so maybe the, you know, you're helping this constituent and the VA comes back with an answer that's not positive. And that person gets really upset or maybe the, the congressman votes a certain way on a piece of legislation. I know the county doesn't like that. But it's, it was hard for me not to take that personally, like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Where, you know, sometimes it's less you, it's more, you know, that's just the, the rules, the regulations, the system. And so I, I learned quickly that you can change some of those things, you can change some of that system by providing new legislation by working with constituents by working with stakeholders to reform the the gi bill you know when a serviceman gets deployed or a servicewoman gets deployed you know and their cell phone bill keeps racking up but they're not using it you know some of those things you can really impact and change and that's what i learned very quickly with with patrick is that you know he was the first iraq war veteran ever elected to congress but he also was someone who really cared about the lives of service members and veterans and regardless of you know my political views or whomever's political views i think it helps me learn that you can make a difference in the lives of others on a very micro level in someone's life but also on the macro level with service members in general He, he didn't have to choose me i'm not from pennsylvania i'm just a you know a guy who, you know, had a degree and had some time in the service, you know, he could have chose anyone and he, he took a risk on me. So I'm always very appreciative of, of Patrick for doing that. I was a blank slate, basically. And I think for him, he saw that as an opportunity to to really teach me and show me some of the ropes. I think it shapes me like the Army did. I really used that experience to help me become, like you talked about, the global citizen, to understand other people's perspectives. And I think that's very important. I wish, you know, that was something we did more as a society is instead of degrading the other, I, th- I think instead we could listen to the other and learn about why they are choosing that or thinking that about the political process, but also the inner workings of legislature and how bills become laws, et cetera. So it was a great opportunity.
0: And it's interesting, Mike, because not everyone gets to serve a Congressman and not every service member gets to serve such military centric roles as you have. But being here in the greater Philadelphia area, I've embraced this community as my home and service members do that. Wherever we're stationed, wherever we land, wherever we retire becomes home, right? So here in the greater Philadelphia area, you'll hear people credit the armed forces as a whole to like Philadelphia. 1775, the Army was established, go Army. The United States Navy, October 13th, 1775, the Marine Corps began in Philadelphia. When you decided to make this area your home, when did you go from college as a pathway to a career to higher education as the place that you would have your career?
1: as we explore careers to make sure that we think about higher education as a as a landing spot, not just as a, a means to get to a career. I think higher education can be a career, and it doesn't have to be doing what I do and working with veterans. It can be being a subject matter expert in a, as a professor. It can be a dean of a department. It can be you know, an administrator in the athletic department. There are so many different opportunities to, I think, pursue a career in higher education that I I believe as veterans sometimes gets overlooked. But what places of higher education need is leadership and agility. And I think that's what veterans have in spades. And, and sometimes I think both academic institutions and veterans overlook each other. And I think it's a missed opportunity as a nation, as we face a lot of crisis and troubling times and enrollment issues, et cetera. I think veterans present opportunities from a student aspect certainly, but also from a leadership aspect.
0: So it's interesting, it's very general. This isn't you know a direct connection. For me that's what the third lieutenant is. The third lieutenant as you know isn't a quote-unquote official rank but it was recognized as a rank pre-air force for the army for flight officers who weren't old enough and did not meet the degree requirement a commission officer who was a pilot. So these young ready to go World War II pilots. They were native as third lieutenants. They took warrant officer bars and they colored them blue and they were known as uh, blue pickles. So when I was in <laughs> JROTC in high school, I had a, a mentor who put in place a pilot's program and I had a pilot's license before I had a driver's license. I credit that extra bit of skill or just like, the unexpected quality that I brought to the table as a service member, even when I was you know, really young and early in my career, I credit that to being a third lieutenant. So what you describe service members bringing into academia or higher education is that extra quality, that unknown, that desirable quality that higher ed and academia may be looking for.
1: I think it's a missed opportunity like you're talking about. Part of what we did with Patrick's office was a lot of Outreach in the community and learning about how other organizations, nonprofits, uh, companies, corporations, etc., were working with, were, were understanding, were helping, whatever it was with with veterans and service members. And some of those events were happening at Montgomery County Community College and Bucks County Community College in the, the greater Philadelphia area. And Patrick's district at, at that time was the Pennsylvania 8th, and it's since been redistricted. And now it's basically just Bucks County. But when he was Congressman, it was part of Montgomery County, part of Northeast Philadelphia, and all of Bucks County. And so I had some opportunities to get into Montgomery County. And I got to the, I think it was Montgomery County, and that's where I ended up working as I saw They had their own veteran center on campus. You know, they had three to 400 student veterans there every year, you know, working towards their education. And I thought to myself, wow, wouldn't that be such a great opportunity to come in? And thinking back on when I was that student veteran, there wasn't really anyone at my college who was helping, mentoring, guiding, you know, any of those things, really some professors stepped up and, and did some of that, but I think it was just presented us such an awesome opportunity to come in and, and work with student veterans. Because I, I believe that's, when you're talking about the enlisted ranks, that's really where transition happens is in college for a lot of folks. If you're thinking today around 800,000 people are using the GI Bill in some capacity around this country, that's where they're transitioning. So I think it was for me, it was seen as a great opportunity to assist others to continue that service, something that means a lot to me. But it's also on the cusp of that transition. So folks maybe need help with mentoring, maybe need help with networking, maybe need help with career mapping, with resume writing, all those things. And I said, well, I think I'd like to do something like that eventually. So it was just a, as part of Patrick's office, it was just a, you know getting introduced to all these other things happening around the community that were going on for veterans it was a great window to see how the community can wrap itself around our veterans.
0: So right now, more than ever, young people are looking for answers. They're looking for direction. What's your advice to service members looking to enter higher education who may not be ready for a four or a five-year program, but maybe better students start out at a technical school, community college, or even a two-year program? What's your advice?
1: I think, you know, The GI Bill is such an awesome opportunity and one that shouldn't be overlooked or undervalued. When you think about some of the problems our nation faces, the student loan crisis, I think is one of the biggest problems that we have. So that's part of it. And then the other part is, when you look at earnings over the course of a lifetime when you have some sort of degree or certification the the data shows that you're going to earn more over the course of your life if you have something that you've earned to get into that career field so that's the things whether it's you want to be a car mechanic or you want to be a nuclear engineer i think using the gi bill to fund and find your way to that point is something that's it's almost like the not the golden ticket but it's really a, a ticket to to get on that train and you know the GI bill is going to pay the institution but it's also going to pay you as the person to pursue that education so what I would say is if you don't have any idea what you want to be exploring a community college or technical school is probably a great first step learn a little bit about yourself but also learn a little bit about career fields out there in general that may be looking for folks like veterans. Because, again, veterans bring a lot of skills to the table, soft skills, hard skills, and everywhere in between. And, you know, when I got out, I think I changed majors two or three times. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I I think that's okay. It's part of the process. And that's the time where it is okay. In college, in a community college or a four-year institution, that's where it's okay to sort of learn and make mistakes and see what your other colleagues and peers are doing. And so my advice would be, do some exploration. Seek advice from people who have gone before you. Maybe you you got out this year and maybe one of your battle buddies got out a couple years ago and is, is at a school somewhere. Talk to that person about what the college experience is like. And so seek advice, talk to others network, 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 and do some career in and, and, and college exploration. I think it'd be doing a disservice if you didn't, because free education is something that not everyone in this country has the opportunity to, to see and to use. And so I think it's it's worth at least trying. If, you, if college is not for you, then that's okay. Then try a, a technical school or uh, do your best and find your way.
0: Great advice. So part of the reason why I've even started this podcasting journey is to help shine a light on the service member as a whole person. And and this pursuit, not just the GI Bill, pursuit though of higher education, I think is is an important story to tell because men and women in uniform, we travel a different path. We're usually a non-traditional student. I will be the oldest one in the classroom. And our journey looks different from our civilian counterparts.
1: So I think when I got to Northern Michigan University, which is a, this is a small state school up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. It's small, but it's wonderful. It's, it was definitely the place for me. I knew that I needed to be at a small school and not one of 40,000 people on campus. I knew that wasn't gonna work for me. And so when I got there, one of the things I quickly learned was I was the oldest person in most of the classes, but I also learned that Professors, for the most part, want to get to know their students. Students just need to be comfortable with raising their hand. And so that's another piece of advice that I have wrapped into how I found my mentors is when you're sitting in a classroom, whether it's the best class you've ever had or the worst, talk to your professors, get to know them. They really want to get to know you. And it's something I didn't know is ignorance on my part. But once I started to get to know my professors, two professors for me, both in the political science department, Dr. Nelson and Dr. Kulishek, they both shaped me as far as understanding what it meant to be successful in an academic setting. So how to take proper notes, how to ask the right questions, how to time manage myself with being able to live that college life, have some fun, do some stuff, but also set aside time to study and be prepared for the class and so those two really took me under their wing and eventually come my senior year I was helping them I was guest speaking in some of their classes about you know foreign policy and about you know how the military is part of the bigger picture. So it really was an awesome experience for me. And then when I got to higher education, I used my experiences to bring in different stakeholders around campus to help current student veterans. So, you know, whether it's people from the Career Services Center, professors from different departments, someone from the provost's office, whoever that is, bring them into the fold, make them part of your team and introduce them to the students. Let the students get to know that there are other people on campus than just the veteran Center that are there, willing and able and, and ready to help. And then also don't forget about the alumni office, though, because eventually we want our student veterans to be active alumni. And so that's another piece of it. But I think that's that's what helped me is spreading myself out and being comfortable with with that and networking but also bringing in a stakeholder team that has the same sort of values and understands the student veterans experience. And so part of that is educating those other offices. And that's something I try to do on campus all the time is speaking with the career services office, speaking with the alumni office, speaking with the different department heads about you know some of the challenges, some of the benefits, some of the resources that are there for our student veterans on campus. And that only gets them more involved and um, I think opens the doors of opportunity for our students to get comfortable and feel like they belong on campus.
0: I know there are some studies right now that involve veterans that have PTSD and that have other challenges that make it difficult for them to be in the classroom and present, but online learning and virtual learning are creating some opportunities for them to participate. A student veteran group that's often overlooked are veterans who or service members that are engaging in class while deployed. I was one of those students trying to find a strong internet connection and a quiet place. Those two things are hard (laughs) at the same time while forward deployed. So from your foxhole, what can be done to better support service members who are forward deployed while still continuing their education?
1: So I think a couple of things. I think it speaks to groups of people, The, the one that is still in the military and the one who is... Doing online or distance learning. I think those are the two groups of people who I think struggle to find or feel like they're part of the the institution at large, right? Because they're sort of separated, whether they're on a ship somewhere or at a base somewhere or in Topeka, Kansas, you know, getting their MBA at Villanova or whatever that is. Online learning in any form, I think, is a challenge. And so one of the things that I think is beneficial to that group of people, to those groups of folks, is to make yourself, whether it's my office or another office on campus, make yourself available as much as you can, but also provide content. Be a content producer so that whether they're sitting at the Veterans Center on campus or on base in their dorm room or their barracks room, the ability to create content so that there's maybe there's a time management workshop that you're producing or a resume writing workshop that you're producing to make them feel like they're a part of the institution at large and part of a community. I think that's what sometimes is lacking. And so the best thing that we can do, in my opinion, is to create content and push it out to students, regardless of where they are, to make them feel like they're part of something. And then the second part is just make yourself available, whether that's via LinkedIn or, you know, having Zoom calls with them. Something that we do at Villanova every other Friday is we have a a large group Zoom call with our students and our staff. So student veterans can come on and sometimes they're just sessions where people can just bend. Like, hey, I'm having a rough semester. I'm having this class. It's terrible. Really what it's turned out to be is just an opportunity for students to get to know one another, for students and staff to get to know one another. So I think finding creative ways to interact with and provide content to those groups of students. Because right now we're all really distance learning. So whether you're you know, at a Navy base somewhere or down the street, but online, I think you can provide some similar tools and mechanisms and resources to those students to Become part of the community at large. And it's something that I think helps to a better quality of life, helps your mental health, gives you a safe space to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Those are all valuable things. And I think a, a great add to the student veteran's life.
0: I agree with you 100%. So, wanting to focus on the Wildcats, go Nova. That's least right. Forget- Visa? Up. Up? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can see you. This is a podcast. He's throwing his Visa up for anyone listening. So least we forget the Villanova Veterans History Project. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So when I got onto campus, I quickly learned that there is a proud tradition of military service at Villanova. Whether it's our Army or Navy ROTC program or post-World War II, I've heard stories where so many students came to Villanova using the GI Bill that they had to set up cots over at the basketball stadium because they didn't know where to house all these veterans. Wow. So when you think about all that, you know, the tradition, we're a proud school full of, of military tradition. So I wanted to find a way to tell that story. And I think the Veterans History Project is my way to do it. And it has two components. The first is the voices of Villanova's veterans. And that is a way for myself and the veterans with a connection to Villanova to sit down in sort of a NPR-style interview where I just chronologically have them tell their story from start to finish to include military service, their Villanova experience, and really want to give them an opportunity and space just to, to be comfortable and tell everything about that. And so some people who served in the military don't go anywhere. They sit on a base all day and that's just they spend their four years doing that. Some people serve five, six combat tours and one of the things I wanted to do was educate the Villanova community about what military service can look like, whether it's being in an MWR tent for four years, helping people out, or whether it's serving combat tours in Fallujah, anywhere in between, I think it's important to talk and tell those stories so that the, the community at large knows what military service is. That was one part of it, it's an educational piece. The other part is a lot of times veterans come home and there aren't a lot of opportunities for us to tell our stories in a meaningful way other than in tidbits here and there. Oh yeah, I did, you know, I was off. I, I served there for a couple of years, but you don't sit and talk to someone for an hour or two about your time in the service, generally speaking. And so this was an opportunity for that veteran to tell their story in a full and meaningful way and record it and archive it so that whenever that veteran passes, that family can still hear their story and come back to that. And I think there's a value to the institution and a value to the family for having that made available. And we've done a good number of veterans so far. And once things get back to normal, hopefully in the next year or so, we'll continue to tell those stories. And so that's a way for, I think, Villanova to honor veterans who are are still alive. And then the other piece of that is our veterans memorial map. And what that does is we've used GPS technology to pinpoint on the globe Anywhere where a Villanovan was in the service and died in service. So, whether that was in World War II or in Vietnam or Korea or wherever it was. And instead of just telling their name, it's a pinpoint on a map. And instead of just saying, you know, Tim Smith or whatever, it provides a story of who that person was, what year they graduated, what they studied at Villanova, a little bit about their time here, but also the circumstances around, you know, their, their death, whether it be in, you know, on a patrol in Vietnam or the aircraft was shot down over Europe somewhere. And I, I think it's, it's a way for us to honor the living with our voices and the dead with our map of, again, making sure that we're appropriately understanding the military experience at the Villanova level. And I think it's, I wish more institutions would do it. I think it's an easy way to really bring in the community of, you know, the libraries involved, the alumni offices involved. It's a really great way to spread yourself across the campus and get other people interested in in hearing stories of of what military service can look like and feel like
0: that's amazing and i'm not an alum but i thank you for for doing that and having the the foresight to make it an inclusive campus and an inclusive experience for any listener who wants to pursue higher education at villanova whether that be as a traditional student or even as an rotc cadet how do they do that
1: sure If they want to pursue uh, higher education, whether that be as a veteran using the GI Bill or as a dependent using the GI Bill or whatever that is, you can certainly contact my office. And the easy way to do it is email us at veterans at villanova.edu it's just an easy email and and several people have access to that email so eyes will see it the rotc is a little bit different some of it's scholarship based some of it is if you're a student already at villanova and you want to become an rotc cadet or midshipman there are ways to do that but i would say the easiest way to start out is just to shoot me an email i can put people in touch with the rotc leadership and they will sort of walk people through that process ROTC is just a little bit different, but it's still, I think, a great opportunity to to be a service member with some leadership opportunities. And maybe you're dead set on going to West Point or going to the Naval Academy. I believe that institutions like Villanova creates very similar experiences to folks who come out of West Point in Annapolis. It's not the same. Obviously, it's it's better in some ways. You're still getting that college experience with the military intertwined with that. I'm on an academy board for a, a congresswoman, and some people are just so dead set on you know going to the academies. And it's always like, hey, you know, there are ROTC scholarships that are out there that are, in my opinion, just as valuable and, and it'll get you to where you want to go. It may be a different path, but the end result is going to be the, the same. So don't forget to explore those opportunities as well.
0: An informed decision is the best decision. Amen. So I know I'm a person, not an organization, and you represent an organization. But if there's any way that I could help in our region, support that vision of bringing more veterans into this space, whether that is, you know, they've already got their undergraduate degree, maybe even their master's, and maybe they want to pursue a PhD, but don't know how to get there because like you and I are first generation or that institutions are looking to reach out to and identify service members to bring in so they can figure out how can we have this person kind of fit into our mesh or into our ecosystem. I would love to be a part of that conversation.
1: Well, I will certainly keep you in my radar and and keep you in the loop. And I appreciate, like I said, this is fantastic. I love having conversations like this. I wish more conversations like this were happening on a broader scale across the country because I, I think it's you know, everyone wants to to help veterans or say thank you for your service. And I think there are real tangible ways in which we can do that. And I think it's just a missed opportunity that we just like saying thank you for your service when our actions speak much more louder than our words.
0: Well it's 2021. Anything is possible, Mike. <laughs> let's make <laughs> let's make things happen.
1: Let's let's do it. I'm just hoping for a few Villanova basketball games at this point. I, I just want something to, to help take my mind off stuff. Visa. That's right. Visa. I see I, now you're doing it. That's good. I like it.
0: So Sergeant Michael D. Brown, thank you for joining us here on the Third Lieutenant.
1: Well, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it, and I, I wish you the best. And I hope your your 2021 is a is a great one.
0: Sergeant Brown, thank you. You've given us a lot to think about. 2021 has started off rocky. But the waters will calm, and then it'll be time to seize the initiative. I'd like to invite you to share this episode with your network. If you know a service member interested in higher education, ask them to listen, subscribe, and review to the third lieutenant. This message is brought to you by A Man's Cave, a spa for men pop-up where grooming and kings meet. If you're experiencing a crisis or have a friend or family member in crisis, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1 800 273 8255. Press the number one for the military crisis line or text 838255. I say again 838255. From our friends at a man's cave, spa for men pop up. Until next time, stay balanced and walk in peace.